Welcome, guys and gals, to the Man Talks podcast. I'm Connor Beaton, the host and founder of Man Talks. This podcast brings together the best thought leaders, teachers, and extraordinary individuals to teach and mentor you on how to be a top performer in life, love, and business. Today, we have an extremely special guest. Uh, his name is Dana Cavalia, and he spent his entire career with the New York Yankees as a director of strength and conditioning. Uh, so we, we're going to dive into quite a few different topics, but basically uh, Dana spent over a decade training the likes of Derek Jeter and Petite and Rivera and Posada and A-Rod, some of the absolute top and best athletes that we've seen in the last few decades. So um, this is definitely an episode that you want to tune into and definitely an episode, hopefully, if you enjoy, that you want to share. Uh, so he, Dana also created a, a very cool platform called ML Strength, and it's a place where he can give anyone the opportunity to learn his different way of training, uh, a level of training that is usually and, and only reserved and available to the fortunate enough to, to make it to the professional athlete level. So he's got a ton of insight and wisdom on mindset, on routines, uh, how to build them, you know, which ones work and which ones don't. Uh, he's also got some really, really, really great insight on fitness and conditioning and, and strength conditioning. Um, so whatever you're looking to learn today, this man has got some serious, serious insight. One of the best interviews I've had the chance to do. Uh, and he's just a very down-to-earth guy. So I hope you enjoy. And without any further delay, Mr. Dana Cavalier. All right, Dana, thank you so much for joining us. I know that our entire community is really excited to hear this interview, so thanks so much for joining us. You got it, Connor. Thanks for having me. So as per usual, you know, we start off with, uh, with a great question, which is tell us a defining moment for you that's shaped who you are today. Yeah, I, th I think for me, you know, we were just talking, it's always about going back to, to how you grew up, and that's, that's where things all, always begin. And, you know, for me... I was always, um, I was a shy kid. And what I realized later in, in life that I was more of an introvert, but I definitely had extrovert tendencies. And as a kid, I would, I would rebel in different ways. And, and, and those were ways of, of trying to express yourself. And my parents are both teachers and they're kind of like, what's going on with my kid? He's a little crazy in certain instances. He doesn't talk or express himself. And then all of a sudden he'll have these, you know, outbursts of, you know, getting in trouble in different ways. But when it came, you know, to the side of expressing myself, I, I really didn't know how. My mother, you know, growing up in New York, you know, your mother's a, a, a central figure in your life in terms of the person that, that pushes you and, and uh, pushes you into some uncomfortable water. And you can do it. You can do it. And my mother always used to say, you know, listen, what's the worst that somebody could tell you in life? And, um, you know, she said the worst thing someone could say is no. But you can't be afraid to ask. And I always I always remembered that as I was growing up. And, and you know, whenever I was in an uncomfortable situation, I was always thinking of my mother. And she would say, you know, you have to have moxie, you know, and it was a kind of a fiddler on the roof uh, expression. That's how I how I looked at things. And, and when I went to get my job with the Yankees as a, as a young guy, I was, you know, 19 years old and, you know, fighting for a, a, a spot. 
and I didn't have the knowledge. I didn't have the education yet. I was just a freshman in, in uh, or a, a sophomore, if you will, in college. And I had to really go back to that and realize that I had to kick a door down and I was definitely the underdog. So between my mother talking about moxie and you have to have, you know, the, the guts to do it and what's the worst somebody could say, that's what kind of got me there. And then my father, you know, grew up without a father and, and um, you know, as a 10-year-old kid, he had to support my grandmother and, and his family. So I learned work ethic from, from my father and I learned guts and dare, if you will, from, from my mother. And I was able to take those, those two, um, I call them skill sets, if you will, or, or characters, uh, you know, to, and, and, and uh, apply that to everything that I've done from that point forward. That's awesome, man. That's fantastic. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a huge accomplishment to, to do what you've done and, and to get in, you know, with an organization like the Yankees. I mean, with any professional organization, sports, sports organization. So, um, you know, tell, tell a little bit about how that came about. You know, like, is, was that like a dream for you as a kid? Was that something that, you know, did you grow up watching the Yankees and it was just something that, you know, you wanted, you aspired to? Like, how did that un, all unfold? Play that back for us. So really, really interesting. You know, I, I never actually went to my first Yankee game until I was in like seventh or eighth grade. My parents, like I said, were both teachers. So I didn't come from a, a super affluent family. And, uh, you know, we'd go, we went to the, the game. I remember it was against the Detroit Tigers. And I'm like, Dad, can we sit down low? Uh, you know, obviously, I want a young guy. I want to sit on the field, get close to the players. And my dad goes, no, we're up there. You know, and he points to the upper deck and he says, but we're in the center right over home plate. So we'll see the whole field. It'll be a great view. You're going to love it. So anyway, I'm up there and I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, wondering like, what's up? Wow. I was a young baseball player. What would it be like to be on that field? Bop, bop, bop. Anyway, I see this guy on the right field line, you know, close to the Yankee dugout and he's stretching out players. And I was like, wow, that looks really cool. And I, I just had like a freeze frame and I never forgot that guy and what he was doing with players in the outfield. So fast forward a few years, I was a, a baseball player in high school with aspirations of, of being a pro and, and going to college and playing. And, you know, I had scholarship offers and things like that. I ended up, you know, I was a young graduating senior. So I ended up going to Queens College in New York because it was, you know, close to home. I wasn't quite ready yet to leave. And after a semester there, I was ready to go. And I ended up transferring to the University of South Florida down in Tampa. And uh, one of the big reasons I went there was because I love sports. I love baseball. And I saw that there were all these pro teams around there. Interesting enough, when they, people ask me, hey, you know, how'd you figure out what you wanted to do? I realized as my baseball career was winding down, because I just didn't have the talent to get to the big leagues. And I, I realized that, you know, as a, as a younger guy. I said, you know, I love playing, but I really love training. And when I started to think about that, I started to think about that guy that was in right field. And I said, man, that guy was actually a strength and conditioning coach. What a cool job. I love training. I love conditioning. I love sports. I love baseball. And I love the Yankees. I was that sick kid that would like go out and cut his lawn because my father made me and, and, and try to make it look like Yankee Stadium and the infield. And, you know, I was a huge Derek Jeter fan and, and a, just a huge fan as a young guy. But I remember that guy on the right field line, strength and conditioning, University of South Florida, where I went to school, had a program for exercise science. And I said, what can you do with that? And they said, well, you could be a strength and conditioning coach. And boom, all of those years kind of like, they just hit me right there. And I was like, this is what I'm going to do. And went to school for exercise science, sports medicine. 
you know, start interning with the University of South Florida football team with a great guy by the name of Coach Ron McKeefrey. And he said one day, he said, Dana, listen, I got a call from the Yankees. And, um, you know, would you want to go over there and, and maybe um, help them out? Now, going back two weeks earlier, here I am, a crazy New York kid down in Florida, loving the weather, palm trees. I, I know spring training's uh, bringing the Yankees to town. So I go up to the field and here I am with my flip camera phone from back in the day. And I'm videotaping guys like Derek Jeter on the backfield through a chain link fence. Like, you know how you have that little like square that or diamond shape. I got my, yeah, phone yeah. And I'm like taking pictures. I'm taking video. I'm sending it <laughs> home to my, to my dad, to my friends. And I'm like, guys, this is awesome. I know you guys are freezing your asses off up there in New York, but look at this. The Yankees are here. And there's Jeter, and look at how close I am. Meanwhile, I'm still like a you know quarter of a mile away. But um, anyway, McKeefrey calls me in his office and says, "Listen, uh, you know Jeff Mangold, who was the strength coach with the Yankees at the time, gave me a call and said he's looking for two young guys to come help out." And I was like, "Holy shit, this is about to get real." And I had no idea what I was going to do. I said, "I'm in, I'm in, I'm in." And I was a really good student, uh, you know, and. He said, well, you're going to have to miss some class. And I said, well, you know, that's okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll deal with it. And um, end up going to, to uh, he said, you got to be at Legends Field, which is now Steinbrenner Field in Tampa, at around 10 a.m. for the start of the day. So I arrive. I don't know what to wear. I'm like panicking. It's like a first date kind of thing. <laughs> and I show up. And literally from the time I open the door, hi, I'm Dana Cavalier. Nice to meet you. I'm supposed to meet Jeff Mangold. This guy, Patrick, meets me. He throws a, a, a lanyard over my neck that says, like, staff with my name on it and runs me out to the field and says, hey, we got to get you out to the field right before stretch. And I'm just like, dude, I was just staring through a chain link fence a week ago. And now I'm heading through the dugout. It was all happening so fast. Like, I wanted to see the place, get a tour. Next thing you know, I'm on the field and Clemens is running by me. Uh, Pettit's running by me. All of these guys. And I'm like, oh, my God. And I'm like frozen. And I have every single, because I'm a very visual person, I have a photographic memory. I have all of those photographs, even to date, just like imprinted in my mind. And I'm like, this is amazing. And, and that is really how, how it all started. I started as an intern, you know, working for free, missing class, studying and staying up late at night. And thank God for my photographic memory because I, I, I can study things, see it and freeze it and then go take the test. And, uh, and that's how it all started. So I didn't have, I didn't come from a special club. I didn't come from my dad knew this guy who knew that guy who knew that guy. I just grinded it out and, uh, I put myself in a position to be seen and, and it all worked out. That's incredible, man. That's a, that's a really, really great story. And I think one of the things that I really appreciate about it is that I can almost like hear that excitement from however many years ago, you know, I can like hear that in your voice still today. And that was 2002. That's, that's when it was 2002. Wow. That's, <laughs> that is so awesome, man. That's so awesome. And so, and so you got to like meet the team and you're like working with them and you intern with them and, <clears throat> you know, was the natural progression then like how, how did you differentiate yourself from the field? Like it's, it's kind of cool that you got that chance, you got that break to sort of you know, go and work with the team a little bit, but then you managed to stay on, you know, for, for over a decade, right. Whether it was through the intern and then you moved your way up and then, you know, became the strength and conditioning uh, trainer. So 
So like, how did you, how did you bridge that gap? Because I'm, I'm assuming that, you know, just like mastering any field, whether it's marketing or sales or, you know, you know, athletics, like whatever it is, there's a certain amount of, of work ethic and, and grit, but how did you differentiate yourself from the field so that you stayed there for so long? Cause that's, that's actually the really impressive part. Yeah. So for me, I, I, I look at everything from a visionary perspective, right? I, so whenever I land somewhere, whether it's at your business or whether it's a, you know, with the Yankees or wherever I go, an airport, wherever it is, I, I always I start with the question, why? Why are things done like this and how could they be done better? And, you know, sometimes it gets you in trouble because your mind never rests. But that's the way I was with the Yankees. And I said, you know, why are, why are we doing it like this? Why is the weight room set up like that? And I started to look at everything from a perspective of, of why. And when I started to do that, I started to have all these like ideas start coming at me as to how we could make things better. And that's really where I started. I, I said, hey, how come we don't have customized programs for the players? When every guy's an individual and plays a unique position, how come we don't have custom programs? Guys don't just get hurt because they get hurt. Like what's our screening and identification process? Okay, oh, we don't have one. Oh, we don't have this. We don't have that. And from that point, I started to basically build, you know, my portfolio of, hey, if you were the head guy today, meanwhile, I was an intern, you know, I was getting paid in, you know, supplements packages, you know what I mean? And I started to say, like, how would, how would I make this better? And, you know, whenever I got the opportunity to talk to the GM, Brian Cashman, who was, you know, a great guy, he said to me, I would say, hey, Cash, can I run something by you? And I was a young, hungry guy with passion and excitement looking to, to make an impact and, and, and make my mark. And I saw that, you know, going back to my mother, you know, you talk about the moxie, you talk about kicking the door down. This was my shot. So if I was at the mall and I saw Cashman, I'd go up to him. Hey, Cash, good to see you. How's everything going? I'm Dana, you know, the intern downstairs. I was a, I was a peon. I was a nobody at the time. But I, I knew that I had to make my way and, and I would do it through looking for holes in the, in the current system and also applying a level of salesmanship to my ideas and my vision. And, and that's what I've, I feel like that's what in my whole career has made me different. I realized really quickly that no matter what you do, you have to sell yourself. And there's mm. different ways to sell yourself. Some people will sell their soul, they'll sell their mother's soul to get what they want. I realized that if I could sell myself by just being honest with people and be real and, and, and be somebody that, that others can relate to um, and put passion behind everything I do, I'm going to win. And, and I may not win on my timeline. And I was very fortunate to win very quickly with the Yankees organization. And again, I'm a 22-year-old kid as the head strength coach telling Jeter what to do. You know, I don't have <laughs> nickels to rub together. I'm living with three other dudes in a condo in Tampa. And, you know, driving a, a car that, you know, I was ashamed to pull into the parking lot with. But, you know, I, I just put passion behind what I did, you know. And, you know, at the time I wasn't even, I didn't even have like the, I didn't even really know how to write a program, right? You know, when I was 19, I would just start my exercise science program. But what I would do is I'd go home and I'd look up like core routines and I'd be like, like from the experts in the industry and I'd piece it together and be like, hey, gee, can I take you to some core? And that was like my thing. I became like the core guy. <laughs> you know, I was just, I was just sent, but I was sold that core. Like it was, you know, like it was gold in California, you know, like you guys got to come out here and see it. It's the greatest core routine ever, you know? But, That's so good. It's yeah. so good. Cause then you become, you become known for something, right? Yeah. And, and what I, what I became known for as my career kind of transitioned and I became the director 
um, I, I became known for the guy that really cared about the players. You know, I was a player's coach. I helped them through anything that they were dealing with. They knew that there was one coach and there was one part of that stadium that they could go to and always be heard and not judged. And Because I, I didn't determine yeah. playing time. I had no decision whether, you know, this guy would play or not or be in the lineup or where he would be in the lineup. My, my position was all about the players, and that's, and that's the way I did it. You know, that's, that's the way I still do it. Amazing, man. Well, I mean, I have so many questions on so many fronts, but I think what would probably be best is for us to go down the road of, you know, talking a little bit about your experience and your takeaways. Um, I actually put out, you know, I actually told our community, like the Mantox community that I was going to be interviewing you and ask for, you know, I asked some of the guys, like what, what some of the questions are that they would want to ask because we have got a lot of fans. So I have a, a couple questions from the community, but I also want to dive into, you know, some of the mindset and then I want to dive into some of the strength and conditioning because there's a lot of, you know, we, we focus a lot on fitness and health here. So I'm, I'm sure that you've got some killer tips and maybe not tricks, but some, some insight for the, for the people that are listening to this podcast. So, yeah, totally. so we'll dive into that. But I, I actually, one of the guys asked a great question that I would love to just transition into right away because it's about mindset. And I had never even thought about this, but one of the guys, his name is Maxime. He, he wrote, uh, you know, how, how do the players handle over 70% failure batting rate and still stay positive? You know, this is like, it's almost like an ironclad mindset, right? Like where you're, where you're getting up, you're striking out, but you're still, you know, staying positive and knowing that you're going to, you're going to get up there and, and like, you know, perform. So from what you saw, and I think that you talked a lot about this in terms of, you know, bridging the gap between, you know, doing strength and conditioning with them, but also helping them on, on their mindset side of things. How did you see, like, what, what did they do to actually keep that mindset healthy, right? What were some of the things that, that they would do and, and how did you support that as their coach? Yeah. So, so, you know, last night, like I was saying earlier, fittingly, I was, I was at dinner with a, uh, Alex Rodriguez, right? Everyone knows him, A-Rod. And, you know, we were actually talking exactly about that. And, you know, what it comes down to for a lot of these guys, listen, you're going to fail so much. And that's what makes baseball players like such, such great guys. You know, when you get to meet these guys, they're so different. They're not victims at all because they can't afford to be. You know, a guy like this says comes down to two things, right? It comes down to support and it comes down to trust, and weird, right? Those are two things. Like, yeah, okay, I could see how that maybe, but no, those are those are clutch. Support is is support comes from your family, right? So he finds solitude, and through no matter what he was dealing with, he can go back to mom, you know, and talk to her about it, and he's accepted by her, and everything's good, you know, whatever's going on in the field. So to just have those that tight circle of support, family, very close friends, that's one way and then when it comes to trust you know trusting your routine you know guys find confidence in their routine now your greatest players i could tell you before a seven o'clock game at 6 48 where Derek jeter would be i could tell you at 652 where Derek jeter would be they are so programmed and so by the clock that their routine is what gives them the confidence that they need to perform. And, and I remember Mark Teixeira was struggling one year and really struggling, like sucked struggling. And here's a guy, you know, that just got paid 20 plus million dollars. And I said, Tex, how you dealing with it? And he says, I'm not changing anything. He says, I'm going to come and execute my routine day in and day out through thick and thin. 
maybe I'll make a little adjustment here or there, but there will be no drastic changes. And they trust themselves because they, they've created these routines and that's where they find solitude and that's where they find strength and that's where they find confidence. And when you combine that with a really great support system, you know, what could really take you down? And Alex said yesterday, he goes, Dan, I was ready to tap out. Like, like you know, I was ready to tap out. But I, but I, I relied and I leaned on those, those pillars that I had and I, and I prevailed. Yeah, that's, that's, that's huge, man. And, it, you know, it's interesting because the more that I interview what we would consider to be really successful people, whether they're athletes, whether they're entrepreneurs, uh, you know, whether they're in the health sector, like whatever the case may be, a lot of it comes down to the routines before the, what I, you know, before the performance, right? So yep. whether you're a musician or whether you are, you know, <clears throat> an athlete, it really comes down to what are you, what are you doing before to put yourself in the right mindset? And, you know, we saw that with like Mike, Michael Phelps, right? He had a very specific routine before he would go and compete and swim. And he said that that was the key to his success. Not that he was a better athlete, not that he was, you know, more adept at swimming or anything else like that. It was just that he had this routine beforehand that allowed him to get into this like, you know, peak or flow state. And, and from there, you know, he could, he could really excel. So and, and yeah, go ahead. I, I think that's, that's, that's huge. And, and the best, the best players, you will see those sort of, sort of habits. But now here's the thing, right? Michael Phelps, that habit or that routine, that's his, like he created that he owns it. He developed it. It's patented by him for use by him only. And I'll tell you, if a guy like A-Rod went on Derek Jeter's routine, it would be a disaster. And if Derek Jeter went on A-Rod's routine, it would be a disaster. You know, so that's what I see. I see a lot of, you know, routines being publicized. And then I see kids copy the routine. And whenever I work with people, whether it's athletes, whether it's, you know, executives, whoever it is, I say, listen, it's about creating your routine, the routine for you that 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 routine that understands your tendencies, your habits, uh, has cultural um, understanding. What, what, all of that has to be put together, you know, and and that's how you get your routine. Mm. Yeah, I think that's 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 huge, man. So, like, how just for like the guys that are out there listening and, and the and the women that are out there listening, how can they develop their own routine? Because this is something that I played around with for a long, long time, and I tried to fit myself into you know, the 5am miracle or, you know, all some of those other routines and, and a bunch of them just didn't work. I tried to use like these, you know, like you said, other people's prescribed routines and it just never seemed to fit and nothing worked until I finally took some time for myself to, you know, sit down and, you know, write out like what would be best for me? What would leave me feeling at my peak in the morning and before I have to go on stage and, and speak in front of a thousand people? Like what's going to do that for me? So how do you help people go on that journey of finding what their optimal routine is? What, what are some suggestions that you want? I think the biggest thing is starting with where your level of comfort is, right? Because a routine is about creating comfort. So if you're somebody, I, I was reading something the other day and someone said, hey, if you don't wake up, if you're an entrepreneur and you don't wake up at 4 a.m., you're a loser. And I'm like, wait a minute, <laughs> that could totally destroy somebody. It, let's say you know, you're, you're a musician and you, and your work is between the hours of 9 PM and 1 AM. And now you've got to get, but you know what I mean? It's, it's, I don't believe in that. So I believe in saying, listen, let's start with, with the first thing in the morning. Hey, are you somebody that wakes up late or someone that wakes up early? What puts you in your peak state? Do you feel better in the morning or do you feel better at la later? Are you a morning person? Or are you a night person? 
and and that's kind of like we now now we set up the two goal lines right so the goal line is hey i'm a night person okay so we shift your routine back if you're a morning person we shift your routine up it starts there okay let's talk about your workouts are you someone that feels better when you work out every day or when you work out once a week twice a week three days a week well what do you like to do you know what i mean and and you start to ask questions and then through trial and error, I like that. I don't like that. I like that. I don't like that. Mariana Rivera laid on a table getting stretched and massaged within an hour of having to go pitch in a very high, high, high level situation. And if you look at the books on physiology, every single one of them would say, he's crazy. Why would you ever do that? You need to put the ner- nervous system in an excited state. But when you meet Mariana Rivera... Hey, why do you get a massage? Hey, it calms me down. It keeps me relaxed. So, hmm. you know what I mean? So he went against that grain, but he had his routine for himself. So set up your goal lines when it comes to, you know, waking up early, waking up later, uh, staying up later or going to bed early. Oh, like that's, that for me is, is, is where it starts. So, I mean, we can go really deep into that. It's just a matter of how deep that, that you want to go with it. No, I think that's I think that's a great place to start because I think what that does is it gives a lot of people permission to just play around with what works for them and and also gives them permission to find their own routine, right? Because it, there's oh. there's a lot of there's a lot of platforms out there that are selling routines on, yeah. in a certain way as sort of like the prescription to to success and optimal performance. And the funny thing is is what what I hear you saying is that you know these top level athletes, the Jeters and the A Rods, if they were to use the other person's you know routine, that would it would probably just you know not not destroy them, but it would you know severely hinder their performance. Yeah, because they so, wouldn't they wouldn't have they wouldn't have the confidence, and that's why you know for me I, I you know and I, I know there's a diverse group that listens to this, and I don't I don't like to, to to speak negative about certain things, but one thing that I see is. You know, there's a lot of these like packaged programs that are out there for people. And I'm like, that, that shit doesn't work, man. It doesn't, it's not going to work for you the way it's being sold. And there's great marketing out there, which I understand, but I'm, I'm really big on leading people down the road or the journey of discovery. And, and if they could discover these things for themselves, and sometimes it's through the error and the fail that you discover greatness, uh, that's, that's where we start. And that's where we start with our players. So you know, read, read different things, read about leaders in history, read about great business leaders, read about athletes, read about politicians and, and start to try things and do different things. And before you know it, you'll find something that, that works really well for you. And that's the most important thing. Customization, per individualization is really everything. And that's been my pitch for years. No two people are alike mentally or physically. So you need nice. to treat them as the individuals that they are. And that's what makes people special. And that's what makes people beautiful. And that's what, what makes the world accelerate. Nice. That's huge. That's huge, man. And I think it's, you know, we don't have any programs. Um, it's not like that. Like we don't have like a yeah. you know, video, video program that we put out or anything like that. And, and the reason that we do that is because I've, I've like, you know, I realize that there's so much power in empowering other people to hear what's out there so like what we do on this podcast for example is like bringing guys like you and and give examples of what's possible so it's a it's really great because it what i hear is that we're at least like humbly on some form of the right track so that's that's good <laughs> yeah but I, listen you know the, the only time that i see my like even myself right personally getting in trouble is when i'm looking too much at other people 
I'm adopting other people's habits and routines that, that may not be good for me. That knocks me off my game where you try to be too much like somebody else when it's like your individuality is what is the most marketable, marketable thing out there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So from like a, a pure fanboy place, you mentioned that like Derek Jeter was like your guy growing up. Did you get a chance to work with him at all or was he already retired or moved on by then? No, no. I, I worked with him for, for a lot of his career. And actually that's – it's – it's uh, kind of crazy. You go from buying a guy's sneakers to, you know, riding in the car with him, having dinner and flying on his plane and, uh, you know, just BSing with him. And he's, he, these guys become your closest friends. Um, they're family, you know, in a lot of ways. You spend, you know, three quarters of a year traveling, you know, through different cities, battling through wins and losses, helping them through tough times, death of family members, children being born the greatest moments in their life you get to share and celebrate with them and they get to celebrate your moments with you and, and these bonds and friendships that develop. What's so cool is like, um, you know, with Alex last night, I, I haven't actually sat down with him and had a meal in probably over a year and a half, but you pick up like your, your best buddies. And, uh, you know, like even when we left, Hey, see you soon. That soon could be tomorrow. It could be six months, could be two years, but we'll always pick up right where we left off. And that's, that's what happens. So you go from, like I said, wearing a guy's sneakers in high school to, uh, you know, winning a world championship with him in 2009 and, and having the same ring. That's huge, man. That's so cool. Yeah. And, you know, just from because, you know, it seems like all these guys, it, it seems like you had a really strong like brotherhood with all these men, you know, that you were working with and that, you you know, you got that camaraderie piece. And, and so I'm kind of curious because it sounds like, you know, you had built sort of like a non-traditional you know mentor relationship with them because in in most cases like you know you, you're looking up to these guys and and they would normally be the mentor but they're coming to you for a lot of pieces around you know strength conditioning and fitness and uh you know some of like the you know emotional fortitude and the mindset and pieces like that and so talk to me about this about this mentorship dynamic between you and the guys on the team like how did that work was it was it a one-way street? Was it give and take? Was it back and forth? Like, how did that, how did that function? Totally give and take. I mean, I, even yesterday, you know, talk, I was asking a guy like Andy Pettit. Uh, we were talking yesterday morning. We were just talking about, you know, mindset and dealing with different things in life and, and you know, wh- where you find the strength to overcome certain things. And we were talking about that, you know, as, as, as buddies, as if me and you were talking about it right now. And, and it, was, it was great. It's definitely give and take. Now, we each have our strengths. What made these guys so good from the mindset standpoint was they never got too high and they never got too low. And when I was younger, I would get high and I would get low. And I, through working with them, I realized that if you can stay even, that's where you, again, you find comfort and you, you, nothing really bothers you. And it's, it's so interesting, the give and take, because like I'm helping Mariano Rivera every day from the fifth inning to the seventh inning, you know, massage, stretch, recover, do all those things before he goes out there. And he's sharing with me what makes him the greatest closer in the world, which most people think is his cutter fastball, but it's actually his mindset. And I asked him one question that really changed the way I looked at so many different things. I said, Mo, how do you do it? And he goes, do what? You know, he's got like a little attitude to him. He goes, do what? And I said, uh, yeah, how do you get it done, man? How do you do it in the big situations? And he goes, listen, buddy, I do a few things. He goes, I quiet the noise, I slow everything down, and I throw one pitch at a time. That's it, buddy. That's it. And I said, all right, that's great. 
but so you're basically describing to me what it's like to be in the zone. I said, but how do you do it in the big situations, like the World Series, the big games? And he looks at me like I'm, like I'm an idiot. And he says, buddy, there are no big situations. They're all the same. It's just a matter of how we approach it. He goes, there are no big situations. They're only big in our own mind. And that was a lot of that. Like, that's the give and take that you get from these guys. And, and you know, to, it, it's defining in a lot of ways, you know, to, to it define, it helps define you. You know, it made me, my career with the Yankees, it helped me in so many ways. But the biggest way it helped me was, was with my mental state and learning how to perform at a very high level without getting, you know, knocked off, off, you know, off kilter. That is, that's huge, man. That's it. And that's a great lesson because, you know, we hear, I think we hear that a lot from, you know, from these types of athletes that are at, you know, whether it's an athlete or musician or an entrepreneur, that concept that like, there are no big situations and the only, like, we're the ones that give them the weight, right? If there's more money involved, we make it a heavier situation. If there's a chance that we're going to lose more money or make more money, we make it heavier. If, you know, if, if it's a bigger game, like the world series, then we make it heavier, right? So it's all, it's all perception. And I think what you're really talking about, if I, if I could sum it up in one word, it's like actually like my favorite word, which is equanimity. And that just, that just means balance in the face of chaos, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's like being able to find that balance, no matter whether you're, you know, prepping for practice or you're prepping for like game seven in the world series. Yeah. You know, you know, what's so cool about these guys, Connor, though? like I always say this, they're not that smart, but they're geniuses in a lot of ways. Like they don't, these guys aren't, they're not listening to, I mean, you know, no offense here, but they're not listening to podcasts. They're not listening, reading, like these guys are on Twitter and just making jokes and they're playing like, you know, on their iPads and they're, you know, they're watching movies and they're, they're really like big time social animals. Like in terms of, they love sitting at dinner and going out together and that's how they, that's how they learn, but they don't have to make a big deal about anything. It's, it was, it's that, that's what makes them. I mean, I think that's where the talent is, man. But yeah, they, they keep themselves very centered and chaos. The world could be falling down around them. And I was just talking to Al about it last night. And it's like, how did you do it? You know, they just stay within themselves. They don't do anything. They don't overextend themselves. They don't diversify their, their life portfolio too much. You know, they just stay within their core competency. And, you know, I, I see these books like, you know, the one thing and essentialism and all that coming out. And I'm like, dude, I was around these guys for 15 years and they just, they're the, they're living, um, you know, proof of that. Hmm. Very know? cool, man. Yeah. Very cool. Innate. With so, that. What's that? It, it was very innate with these guys. Their life yeah, experience. Like a, yeah. yeah. Nice. So let's, I'm also curious a little bit about, um, you know, confidence because we see these guys and, and, you know, they really embody and sort of represent confidence. And every once in a while you kind of see them, you know, maybe not, not go too far, but they kind of go over and they seem more self-assured or over self-assured or, or, you know, a little bit arrogant. And how, how do they find balance or how do you see that they find balance or, or how do you find balance personally um, you know, with, with staying humble, but still very confident. And do you notice a difference when people start to struggle, right? Like you talked about uh, one of the players struggling in his performance. Do you notice that sometimes they struggle to overcompensate when their performance is struggling? Yeah. I, your, your best players, right. They all have a goal and they all have a mission that's bigger than themselves. 
they all focus like you know you talk to a guy like Jeter hey I want to be I want to be I want to be a first ballot Hall of Famer like that's the goal so through the struggles and through the ups and downs keeping your eye on your prize and what you set out to do and focusing on that goal and that mission and and that uh you know defines purpose that you created for yourself that's what keeps you kind of going back like that's what you go back to and again that's where you find more self-assurance and confidence and you know looking at past performances and preparing for future success that's that's what a lot of these guys what a lot of these guys do and like we were saying before just even keeping things very home base and your best players they're not they're not running around like maniacs all night and stay, they have very strong again routines that they just that give them that confidence and and I'm I'm the same way you know the only way you can get me to waver is if you you know take me off my routine for multiple days you know if I have a travel day I can deal with it but um, if it's multiple days, then then it becomes more difficult for me, and I start to feel like a little bit like a weakness. You know, you can penetrate me a little bit like that, but mm. you know, the the routine, man. It's just like it's a word that I use over and over and over again. And uh, nice, yeah, and stay and staying within yourself, knowing what. Also, you got to know what kind of player you are, and that goes for business too. You know, are you a visionary? Are you an entrepreneur? You know, are you an operator? Um, who are you and what are you great at? And whatever you're gr- not great at, delegate and find a good partner, find a good, you know, wingman or woman to help you. Nice. Nice. Um, so let's just, let's just switch gears here quickly into more of the strength and conditioning side of things. I think we've covered some good mindset and, and, you know, I appreciate you talking about, about the team and, and whatnot. Um, and, and obviously like, you know, respecting them, which is a huge, huge part of it. Um, but I'm, I'm so curious about the strength and conditioning side of it in terms of fitness and being at your peak. So what are some just like foundational things that you could give out to our listeners that they should know about strength and conditioning, whether they are just trying to, you know, lose some weight or they're trying to get back in the gym for the first time, uh, or maybe they're looking to take their, you know, four or five days a week at the gym routines to the next level. Maybe we'll start at the beginning and then work up to something a little bit more challenging. Yeah. So, so for me, you know, again, I I think you could probably hear that I, I always start with the mental. So I say your mentality drives your physicality and then your physicality starts to drive your mentality. So, you know, so many people struggle with strength and conditioning, training, weight loss, all these, you know, different terms that are out there. And most of them struggle because they struggle to really get started. And the same way we said you got to find a routine that works for you in terms of, you know, preparation and attitude and entrepreneurship and all that in business, you got to do the same thing when it comes to your training. So um, you can't just do what everyone else is doing and then emulate that and think you're going to get the same result. Now, there are some core principles that this whole thing is based on. So, you know, diet, you know, my big term or tag that I use is eat clean. So, you know, when you eat, you know, eat foods that have less than three ingredients in it. You know, when you start flavoring and you start spicing and you start, you know, marinating and doing all these different things, you start to change the composition of the food. So people are like, hey, I got this extra five or 10 pounds. I can't lose. Why? And then all of a sudden you start to break down their food and they're eating what I, they're eating dirty. So you get the result that you feed. So, you know, that eating clean is, is a foundational principle. Also, keeping your, your training, you know, scheduling it and not letting other things influence and affect you getting your session in for the day. Like I have to do my stuff in the morning. If I don't do it in the morning, it ain't happening. 
So before I schedule a meeting, before I schedule a call, I have to get that in. So being very disciplined and almost selfish with, hey, this is when I do it, you know, you have you have to own that. So I, I'm also a very boring strength and conditioning coach. I always say I, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like the flavor of vanilla, but what I do works because I, I don't believe in getting so like fancy and Again, what's our goal? What's our objective? Now let's put the play. Let's put the plan in place. And that's what and that's that's what we do. And if you understand heart rate and integrating heart rate into your training correctly, obviously someone that's been training for a long time and has greater capacities is going to be able to do more from a heart rate perspective than someone that doesn't. You know, so yeah. it's so it's all so about I, you. Yeah. So unpack that unpack that a little bit for us because like heart rate. I mean, it's something new to me in like the last year. And I know, I know the importance of it. Um, you know, but for some of the listeners out there, they might not know why that's important. So can you unpack that and maybe share why that's important and, and yeah. just a quick insight on how to integrate that maybe. So, so the way you measure somebody's conditioning or the state in which they're conditioned or how cardiovascularly fit they are is how, how fast their heart rate goes up and how fast it goes down. More importantly, more importantly, if I get you to 170 beats, how fast can you drop 20 and 40 beats? How fast do you drop over 30 seconds? How fast do you drop over a minute? So picture in a layman's terms, you're running up the steps. Are you at the top of the steps keeled over trying to get as much oxygen as possible? Or do you get to the top of the steps and you feel, yeah, it's, I'm good. They're two different states. So when you train, like some people, the, the common mindset, and this is my biggest issue with gyms, is that you know, someone says, you know what, I want to get in better shape. So they go, they typically do a mile on the treadmill. Now they go do a mile and a half. They typically do 15 to 20 minutes. Now they do 40. So you're adding time, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're efficient. And that doesn't necessarily mean you're strengthening your cardiovascular system in a maximal perspective. Because again, I'd rather you do less, but let's get the heart rate up higher. And then let's calculate the drop rate, rev it up, drop it down, rev it up, drop it down. Now, I'm going to put a star next to that because if you don't have a baseline level of conditioning, you know, where 10 minutes on an elliptical or 10 minutes on a treadmill or, you know what I mean, your, your shot, interval training is going to be too aggressive for you. If you're a high-stress executive, interval training and heavy-duty heart rate training that takes you above 80% of your max heart rate will also knock you down because, you know, how many times we've heard of that executive that he's a big runner. You know, he's 40 years old. He drops dead of a heart attack. You ever hear of that guy? New York City, they're everywhere. It's because yeah, yeah, absolutely. stress plus stress equals stress. So these guys are already stressed. Exercise is stress. And that creates almost like stress squared. So, you know, when it comes to, to, to using these intervals and using heart rate, you want to make sure that you're using it on a body that's ready for it and is ready to handle it. So building a nice base of fitness is essential and then start getting into some of the more aggressive protocols. But my issue with some of the commercialized facilities programs is they want to kick your butt right away. And that's how you get stress fractures. That's how you get, you know, cardiac episodes and things like that that take place. So we would never do that with a, with a pro athlete. Yet I see all these deconditioned adults and, uh, you know, doing it all the time. So I know it's, I, this is a whole, we can, we can go we can go real deep with this, but <laughs> no, yeah, I was going to say, I, I feel like this is, this is huge because I, you know, I have guys reach out all the time who are like, listen, I'm, you know, trying to cut weight and blah, 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 but they haven't seen the inside of a gym in like a year. Right. 
And so getting into that routine just seems like climbing Everest. It seems like this insurmountable, you know, mountain that they have to climb. And so, so for the, for the guys who are, who are kind of like just starting out um, or the women who are just starting out and they're wanting to take that uh, just, just get started, you know, like where do you recommend they just get started? Because it sounds like the heart rate variability piece might come further down the down it's the road. To, it's totally further down the road, and it's 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 definitely oversold commercially as like the only way, and this is what you should be doing. You know, but, but you you cut weight at the table. That's where you cut weight. You cut weight at the table, and that's for me. That's where you start because you start overcoming your mind when you start making better decisions in regards to your health. So let's say you know you start eating healthier. Now you're starting to get into that mindset. I always say to people, the hardest part about you know going to a gym is walking through the door. Honestly, I tell people that come to our facilities, just get, even if you don't train today, just come in. Just walk in. Watch a class and get out. Do it again tomorrow. And when you feel ready, then you start jumping in. But you know, simple things like you, know, you cut weight at the table. And then to start, you know, give yourself a, ba- a basic program. If you do nothing right now and now you walk 20 minutes a day, you, you're already making progress. If you're, if you're at the table making good decisions and then you start, start a walking program for a month, turn that walking program into a 10-minute jogging program. You know, and again, I, I know I sound like I'm speaking very informally and there's a very deep process we can go into in terms of walking people through and setting them up on programs and plans. Um, but the, the accountability piece to themselves is, is essential. And I believe that the most important part of achievement is you need great coaching, you need accountability, and you need a program and process. So it's cap. Coaching, accountability, program, and process. And I love you it. Know, yeah. And if we can that that's what I that's how I coach. I coach based on that. You know, if I if I just coach them and I don't give them a program, they're screwed. If I don't give them, if they don't have accountability and I don't help them with their accountability, that's why they fail. So in the beginning, it's like the you know, the training wheels. And and that's how it starts. But you know, something's better than nothing. And you have all these desk jockeys in New York City that are just compromising their health and their lifespan, you know, for a paycheck. And eventually the body regulates itself and the body always wins. And if you don't understand that, you soon will. And the money you're making today will later be spent on, you know, cleaning yourself up, you know, but just nice. do something. Even if it's as simple as saying, I'm going to take 30 minutes today and move, you know, Roll from side to side in your bed for 30 minutes. Whatever you got to do, but move, you know? That sounds, that sounds like an endorsement for some sexy time. But <laughs> um, So my next, my next question, so we're going to have to wrap it up here pretty quick. But, you know, we have, we have a pretty uh, broad age range of guys that, and, and women who tap, you know, tap into this podcast and come to our events and join our mastermind groups. You know, we we have a lot of young guys from you know twenty five to thirty two, but then we also have a you know a big section of guys that are are in their early to mid to late forties, and you know I'm curious as to how the body, from your perspective, you know seeing these top 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 athletes, how the body changes through your late twenties into your thirties, and then you know how do they, how do you stay in shape in your forties? Like, what does that look yeah. like? Well, actually, that's that's um. A lot of what I do now. So I work with a lot of CEOs, executives now, in addition to my to my athlete clientele. And the one thing I see with them is their their stress level is so high. So before you start talking training, I try to get their stress down. We do a lot of stretching. We do a lot of breathing. We do a lot of trigger point uh, massage, 
all of that, that's actually the starting point of their training. So getting that, that range of motion back, getting their patterns cleaned up again, where they can squat without pain, they can balance on one leg. All of these basic motor skills start to decline with age because, you know, again, these guys are busy building, you know, private jet companies and owning sports teams. And those are the guys that I work with now. They're not think you know, they're in kill mode from 25 to, to 40. And, you know, sometimes it's a, again, a cardiac event or something that wakes them up they realize they got to start start doing something about it. But again, if they jump in, like we talked about earlier, whether you're 25 and you haven't done anything in 10 years or you're 40 and you haven't done anything, you got to progress them very safely through the process and, and just getting them moving. So basic, what we call um, steady state cardiovascular. Hey, today we're going to do 10 minutes just on the bike. But before that, we're going to stretch you. We're going to heat you up. We're going to do massage. And that's how you start to, to transition them. But I always warn the, the, the type A professional, type A entrepreneur that if you approach training the same way you approach your career, you're dead because it has to be very progressive and you can't try to chop down the tree day one or the tree is going to fall on top of you. Nice. I, lo- I love that analogy, man. So, so, so good. I mean, I feel like I could talk to you for like an hour, you know, hour on top of this, like a couple hours. Um, and I'm sure that, you know, a lot of the listeners will have questions past this. Unfortunately, we're going to wrap it up. But, you know, we've we talked we talked before that, you know, we'll, maybe we'll connect in New York. Um, so for the listeners out there, if you have, you know, some more questions out of this interview, feel free to reach out to us at info at mantox.ca or through the Facebook group or the Facebook page. And maybe Dana and I will do a, a little 15 minute video session that we'll, we'll post up privately later on. So, you know, definitely let us know what you'd like us to talk about in terms of fitness or whatever, whatever questions you got. Dana, thank you so much for coming on. Uh, just quickly, where can people find you? How can they reach out to you? And, um, and what do you have coming up next, you know, for 2017? Yeah. So, you know, for me, you can reach me at uh, danacavalier.com, Twitter at Dana Cavalier, and Facebook uh, at Coach Dana Cavalier. So, you know, I'm open. I'm happy to answer questions. I like helping people. Uh, I travel a lot. So I spend a lot of time, you know, at coffee shops and, and, uh, you know, coaching people. So 2017 for me personally is going to involve a lot more speaking and getting out there and kind of debunking a lot of the stuff and the myths that I see that I think are um, confusing people. And my big pitch is no gimmicks, no BS, and just keep it real. And, and um, you know, my job was to protect hundreds of millions of dollars in assets. I was an asset manager. So I had to put plans in place that actually, that worked. And uh, if they didn't, I was in trouble. So I just want to give people an honest perspective, and I think the world needs that. Nice. That's a really, really great perspective. So, yeah. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you need anything else from from Dana, feel free to reach out to him. Uh, otherwise, let us know what questions you would love to, to ask him in the future. And uh, we will catch you next week for another inspiring conversation with another inspiring man.